The belief that God became man and dwells among us in Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Orthodox Christian life and worship. Orthodox worship, therefore, involves the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul. In our services of worship, Christians pray and sing in liturgies that are not of this world. Ancient Faith Radio now presents Singing the Triumphal Hymn with Father John Finley, exploring the Orthodox faith through music and liturgy. Father John is a composer and musician and is with the Missions and Evangelism Department of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Here's Father John. Five years ago, 2003, Conciliar Press and Again Magazine celebrated its 25th year in publication. And they asked me to write an article reflecting on the musical journey of the uh, former evangelicals into the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America. In some ways, I don't really, you know, I, I play around with words a lot, considering their meaning and their implication. We're often referred to and even refer to ourselves as former evangelicals. Well, am I? Am I former evangelical? I don't think so. I hope not. I would pray that at least my understanding of evangelical coming from the Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20, would fit right into being an Orthodox Christian. Would fit right into being united to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church and the patriarchate of Antioch that sent out the great missionaries Peter and Paul to evangelize Western Europe, the Mediterranean area, and sent out other missionaries to do the same. To begin and inaugurate this new podcast, I'd like to share with you that article that I wrote for Again Magazine, and then we can go from there. Here we go. How does one summarize a 25-year musical journey in just a few pages? I was 25 years old when Conciliar Press and Again Magazine were born. 25 years later, it's not hard to guess how old I am. Between Christmas and New Year's Day in the winter of 1977, I journeyed from Nashville, Tennessee to Goleta, California on a mission from God. I stopped in my hometown of McAllister, Oklahoma, celebrated Christmas with my parents, and headed out to California by way of Amarillo, Gallup, and Phoenix. Long curly, black hair, a full beard, blue jeans, jean jacket, a pair of sunglasses, driving cross-country in my beat-up red Volvo sedan with my front seat companion, an acoustic double bass. You might have thought I was one of the Blues Brothers. My blues, however, were church blues, 
I was in search of the true church. I enjoyed growing up in the Baptist Church in Oklahoma. My time as a camper at Falls Creek Baptist Assembly and as a student at Oklahoma Baptist University is still vivid in my heart and mind. During my college career, however, I came to the conclusion that there had to be something more to the Christian life than what I was experiencing. I was young, single, with nothing holding me down. So I went looking for an expression of the church that proclaimed one body in Christ. My first stop after graduating from Oklahoma Baptist University in the spring of 1975 was Nashville. My older brother was living there and worshiping with a group of people led by Gordon Walker. Gordon was one of the leaders of a network of Christian fellowships led by a number of former members of Campus Crusade for Christ. I joined this group of like-minded Christians in what was then called Grace Fellowship Church, now St. Ignatius Orthodox Church in Franklin, Tennessee. It had not been easy for me to move to Nashville. Upon graduation from OBU, I had been offered an editorial position with Word Incorporated, in Waco, Texas. From the standpoint of my musical career, it was nuts for me to turn this opportunity down. Kurt Kaiser and company were really moving and shaking the Christian music world with their youth musicals and their new church sound. But the fever that accompanied my spiritual quest did not lead me in that direction. I thought maybe I could accomplish both of my goals in Nashville, be a rock and roll Christian and find the undivided church all at the same time. So I went off to Music City, USA. A few weeks later, I realized I wasn't going to be an overnight success in Nashville's Christian music industry. So in the summer of 1975, I knuckled down and got a job with Street Piano Company in downtown Nashville. Street Piano Company was right across the street from the Baptist Sunday School Board, now Lifeway, which had published four choral pieces I had submitted to them while a student at OBU. I would occasionally go in and see my friends there, but I knew my spiritual quest was slowly but surely burning a significant bridge to any future musical career with them. Learning and practicing the piano tuning and repair trade while at Street Piano Company sustained me both financially and in many other ways during that period in my life. I learned a number of life lessons under the mentorship of Orville DeVille Palmer, head piano technician at Street Piano Company. Mr. Palmer could accomplish more at half speed than I could at full speed or even double time. I knew I needed to slow down, not only in the piano business, but also in my soul. There were some bones that needed to be set. I needed to become clear about what I believed as a Christian. I kept writing songs and I would sing them or teach them to the congregation at uh, Grace Fellowship in Nashville. 
Occasionally, I would perform at the Yellow Deli. It was a church-owned restaurant down on 18th Street and was gradually working my way into the Christian music scene. One artist, Mike Johnson, who had been attending Grace Fellowship, picked up a song Tom Walker and I had written with another gal named Ginger Lang called Psalm 92, It Is Good to Give Thanks to the Lord. Mike recorded it on his album More Than Just an Act, which was released by Paragon in 1977. That tune rose to number five on the gospel charts at one point and gave me a real confidence boost. During that time, I was being exposed to some really good teaching coming from a triumvirate of men located out in Goleta, California. In 1976, John Braun came and did a teaching series on Union with Christ. He meticulously worked through the theological distinction between person and nature, not only in God, but in man, then spoke of our need to be united to Christ's life-giving flesh and baptism in order to participate in eternal life. My whole spiritual world was turned upside down. If I were to believe what he said, I would have to do a lot of changing. And once I accepted this teaching about baptismal regeneration, I realized that my identity as a Southern Baptist had been severed. I wasn't a Baptist anymore. I didn't know what I was. <laughs> at that time other than a Christian, but that's really all I wanted to be, and still all I really want to be, just a Christian. The hymn, Praise to the Incarnate Word, which I wrote a few years later, is rooted in the theology I learned that weekend and through the study of St. Athanasius' book on the Incarnation. When I review the lyrics, I still flash back to that pivotal moment in my life. i yeah. 
acceptance of this teaching created a kind of domino effect in which little by little I began to take on a sacramental world view. That same year, Dick Ballou, now Father Richard, came to Nashville to conduct a weekend retreat. During that weekend, I had an opportunity to sit down with him, tell him I was a musician and ask if he could think of any particular song or hymn that needed to be set to music. He said in his thick Texas accent, Yes, the Trisagian. I said, The what? He said, The Trisagian hymn. It's one of the oldest hymns in the church. How does it go? I asked. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us, he answered. I said, man, that doesn't sound like a song to me. In early 1979, however, I had set the hymn to music, and it is spread to more churches than any other piece of music I've ever written in my life.
teacher was Jack Sparks. I remember one lunch I had in the May of 1977 in a booth at Shoney's Big Boy on Murphy Road in Nashville. I told him I had a degree in music theory and composition from Oklahoma Baptist University and wanted to serve as a musician in the church. And this new movement in the church, in any way I could. He pulled out a pen from his pocket, grabbed a napkin on the table, and began to spell out a need for songs based on the Psalms and on solid theology and easy for the congregation to sing. He continued in his very unassuming way, telling me that a few years earlier he'd talked to Larry Norman about the same thing when Larry had come and crashed for a few days at Father Jack's house near the UC Berkeley campus. Father Jack looked up at me and said, he didn't pay any attention to what I was saying, but I've been looking for a musician who would. My jaw dropped. My heart skipped a beat. I swallowed hard. I held back the tears. I felt God was speaking to my heart through Father Jack and calling me to a much bigger task than I had asked for. It wasn't long until I was making preparations and packing my bags for that move out to Goleta, California where this story began. I was both scared and excited. In 1978, Conciliar Press was rolling out Again magazine and a number of topical booklets. There was a need for distribution of music, and by 1979, I was asked to coordinate that effort from Goleta as the music editor for Conciliar Press. During that same period, the Evangelical Orthodox Church had been officially formed, and I was asked to serve as the Executive Secretary for the Music Commission of the Evangelical Orthodox Church, which I did from 1982 to 1985. The dynamics of the music can only be described as being in constant motion. (laughs) We were looking for a way to integrate 
the liturgical services of the Orthodox Church with the contemporary Christian music sound we had been using. We struggled for sure. It was like trying to unite two very distinct worlds. We wanted to use the service of Great Vespers, but the prose style of the hymnody had us stumped. How could we make these prose hymns sound like the spiritual hymns and songs we'd grown up with? Russian and Byzantine music seemed so foreign to us. We couldn't pat our feet, keep a beat, or repeat a familiar phrase. It was really tough. We tried rhyming and metering many of these hymns and setting them to familiar tunes from the Methodist or Baptist hymnal. And some of them worked pretty well. Others didn't. It wasn't smooth. We were jumping from style to style. One person described it as a musical cup of fruit cocktail. And it made me mad. I'd been working hard to piece together something that was orthodox that we could relate to at the same time. Looking back on it, though, I'd have to say the assessment was probably right. But no one else seemed to be coming up with any significant alternatives. By Christmas Eve 1984, we had incorporated the entire liturgy of the St. John Chrysostom together with the complete service of Vespers. Matins came much later. Musically speaking, it, it wasn't an easy service at all. Quite frankly, it still isn't. By 1985, a few of our Evangelical Orthodox leaders had met with Patriarch Ignatius IV and Metropolitan Philip in Los Angeles, and things were set in motion to bring the whole body of the Evangelical Orthodox Church into the canonical church through the Antiochian Archdiocese. We tried our best to get ready to be received, both liturgically and musically. Metropolitan Philip was gracious in giving us time to incorporate all the hymnody prescribed in the services, and we needed that grace period. By February of 1987, we were all being received, community by community. As His Eminence moved through the churches, he was amazed by a lot of the music he heard and would request some of his favorites as he went from parish to parish, chrismating the people and ordaining the clergy. I remember one encounter with the Metropolitan at the Antiochian Village in the summer of 1990. I had been asked to sing with the chanters in the Saints Peter and Paul Chapel and sang the great doxology during matins. After the liturgy, I heard this deep voice calling me, John, come here. I want to tell you what a beautiful job you did singing the great doxology this morning. You sang it just the way I sing it. And I responded, your eminence, my desire is to learn the Byzantine musical tradition to the best of my ability and then help to develop a musical expression for the church in America from that deep root. Excellent, he said. And then turned and we walked out the chapel. 
In some ways, I feel so blessed by that brief exchange. Truly, his encouraging words were music to my ears. Yet, the remembrance of this conversation haunts me every day. Have I fulfilled my promise to his imminence? Is it even possible to make this expressed desire a reality? How long will it take? Will I even see this vision become a reality in my lifetime? After the dissolution of the Antiochian Evangelical Orthodox Mission in the late 90s, I went through a dry spell. I didn't write much music, but I kept studying and singing whenever I could. During that time of dryness, I was learning important lessons about prayer. I tried to truly pray as I sang and pray as I chanted the services. Afterwards, I seemed to come away refreshed and renewed. Looking back on it all, I think the need to unite prayer and music is still the most important thing I've learned and the greatest challenge I still have as a church musician. Whenever the subject of changing or modifying or developing the music is discussed, it seems that someone will always say, we're orthodox, we don't change. And I can certainly understand this statement when spoken in reference to the canon of the Holy Scriptures, the creeds, the doctrines of the faith, the structure, the services, and so on. But when we consider church art, this attitude relegates the artist, whether a musician or an iconographer or an architect, to the role of scribe. The church throughout the ages has been the great bastion and patron of the development of the arts. And we need to create an atmosphere in the church where once again we will encourage artistic creativity. As I see it, the only alternative is to stagnate in the preservation of what might be called museum quality music, reducing the church's artistic relevance in society to that of a curator. Last summer at the Antiochian village, Metropolitan Philip called for just such a new creative path in music, iconography, and architecture. A younger generation of musical leaders is emerging as we journey into the 21st century. Is the future bright for our creative artists? Will we give them a place to exercise their talents and encourage them to create new horizons? Our ability to convert a nation depends on it. And a resounding yes would certainly be music to my ears. And that was Father John Finley with Singing the Triumphal Hymn, Exploring the Orthodox Faith Through Music and Liturgy. If you would like to write Father John, his email is singing at ancientfaith.com. That's singing at ancientfaith.com. 
This is a listener-supported presentation of Ancient Faith Radio. 